With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's Ryan Marine and Dan Lloyd. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365's weekly sports car racing podcast back in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine. Dan Lloyd joining me on the program here this week as we turn our attention to the weekend that was in sports car racing. Pirelli GT4 America racing at Portland and the Blancon GT World Challenge Europe races from Zonvoort. We'll be covering those here shortly. We will have plenty of news to cover from the world of sports car racing as well, plus an interview with Harry Gottsacker, who wrapped up the, and let me get this right, the uh, Pirelli GT4 America Sprint X West Pro-Am Championship over the weekend with John Miller, his co-driver there. He's also racing in IMSA Michelin Pilot Challenge with Brian Herta Autosport, and we'll talk to him about that too. But with that out of the way, uh, the introduction's done. Dan, let's dive into the weekend. You were kind enough to help us with the uh, session reports from the coverage uh, at Portland, handling that remotely while I was on TV duties. So let's uh, let's discuss the weekend quickly. I'll mention that uh, Marilla Racing won the first race overall. It was their third straight win, dating back to a couple of wins at Sonoma with Kenny Marillo and Christian Shimshack, Harry Gottsacker, and John Miller. Uh, who I mentioned wrapped up that championship. They were the overall winners in race two. I thought by and large, Dan, and admittedly my view from, from pit lane is a bit compromised, but I, I did think that by and large the, the GT4 racing was quite good over the weekend. What did you make of it? It was superb. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Ryan. Um, we had some great racing throughout uh, a decent 19 car field and it was very clean racing as well i mean we we had we had no major stoppages per se but at the same time we had plenty of action um you know cars getting out of shape here and there but it was because of hard racing not because of any any uh, misdemeanors or any 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 poor competition so it, it was it was really high standard actually um throughout the pro am and the am fields everyone seemed to respect each other and it's quite difficult to really get clean races i think on this portland track it's a a, a narrow twisty uh, quite quite a quite a difficult piece of tarmac to just two miles uh, to get used to and and but everyone seemed to seem to behave themselves and and we got treated to a couple of really really exciting races um as you said uh, the, the west pro-am championship went the way of john miller and harry gottsacker which was and they put in a really impressive couple of performances actually could have won the first race ended up making amends for it in the second race with a, a a great drive from both drivers but particularly miller stood out in the second half overtaking three guys to go on and take the win um but they had a fantastic weekend the bmws throughout all of the sessions looked to be the car to beat, I think. We had a lot of other manufacturers involved, but the BMWs as a block seemed to be always up there. Uh, and ST Racing clearly prepared a great car for this Portland circuit because both of their cars were ended up being up there in, in the uh, higher reaches of the top 10. It was fantastic racing all throughout. And and, and as you said, Christian Shimshak and Kenny Murillo got the win in the first race. Arguably, that should have gone to the ST Racing guys, but there, there was a little funny moment with a with a back marker getting a bit squirrely out of turn two, and it, it was all sort of instinct as to who took the best line around this this errant Porsche, and, and it turns out that that Miller uh, that it turned out that Murillo got the best line out of the corner, 
got past got Saka, went on to take the win um got Saka in the end actually got overtaken by another bmw of greg lift who had a great charge through the field um but yeah altogether there were just overtakes left right and center and, and for a circuit like portland where you don't have too many premium overtaking spots there was plenty of action and you know a real good advert for the series and, and a great advert for the venue as well yeah i, I have to agree and uh, the the you mentioned the strength of the BMW. Certainly, it did appear that, that they were the class of the field, although the, the Murillo Mercedes was very good. Um, the, the pole lap for race one from Christian Shimshak was, was quite remarkable. Uh, I thought uh, the Reardon Racing Audi in the hands of Esko Kozarov showed flashes at times. Uh, just in general, I, oh, actually, you, you could probably even mention the, the Ford Mustang GT4 when uh, Drew Stavely was behind the wheel, specifically in qualifying for race two, where he won the pole, led a lot of, of the opening stanza of the of race two before turning the car over to Frank Gannett, where it dropped back a little bit, but still had a really good result for them. Um, just just by and large, again, the, the parody was quite good, the BOP. You didn't hear a ton of complaints about it over the course of the weekend, which is refreshing in a BOP series. So I think a lot of positives to take away from, from the weekend, plus some great storylines and Already one championship uh, wrapped up with still two races to go in that West Regional. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point, Ryan, about the parity being there. I did say that the BMWs looked to be sort of the car to beat. The Mercedes was up there as well. But but you're right, there, there was great parity. And, and a lot of manufacturers had a chance to be up there. And it, it, it's a special thing we've actually got in Pirelli GT4 America, just the sheer amount of manufacturers. And you've got some some marks that you don't necessarily see in other series as well. Um, so it, it's not an easy balancing job. There are so many parameters to get right. Um, but when you get to the point where the cars are all nicely, evenly balanced, and it's more about which team has the best setup and the best approach to each particular race, that's when you get the best racing. And that's exactly what we were treated to last weekend, I feel. It was a different on-site experience, it must be said, for a couple of reasons this year, one of which was the fact that it wasn't 100 degrees Fahrenheit like it was a year ago. That was just a brutally hot weekend. That was something like 15 or 20 degrees warmer than the average temperature for the ti- that time of year in Portland, and, and all of us were just hoping that that was an anomaly that uh, wouldn't be repeated. And thankfully, though, the weather was gorgeous all three days uh, that we were on site. But the big difference, I think, has to be the absence of GT3 and GT4 Sprint. It made for an interesting weekend just because so many of these weekends are just jam-packed with races. Five a day has been the norm at a lot of these events with GT4 Sprint, GT4 Sprint X, plus GT3, of course, and then the, the two different touring car races that, that happen on these weekends as well. And now you can throw the, the Celine Cup racing into the mix, which made its debut over the weekend in somewhat trying circumstances, but it made for a, a dif- difficult weekend from uh, an attendance standpoint, I have to say. I know the series was hoping for a bit more, considering it was the second year on the same date, and the weather was much more advantageous than it was a year ago. I, I know you lose something when you lose the, the GT3 races and GT4 sprint, but there's still a lot of local racing that was on the docket uh, with the Rose Cup races and some other uh, Spec Racer Ford and Spec Miata races. It was a really full slate of of uh, activities, and the crowd, to me, did not seem any different than it was a year ago, and I, I think that the series was a bit disappointed in that, which brings us to a conversation about schedules, which I think is going to be a big topic we do spa uh, for the 24 when we're expecting the SRO to be announcing a lot about uh, future schedules, not just for the American arm, but I think 
all of its championships uh, globally. And there's going to be a few of these weekends in America that are going to be under some scrutiny, I think, from the sanctioning body side of things. Portland, based on the rumors I was hearing, was one of them. Um, I think the, the Circuit of the America date might be one that they're going to take a look at because of where it falls on the calendar and the proximity to the IndyCar race that, that Coda has added to its slate. So just uh, for listeners out there wondering where, where the series might be headed in the future, if the schedule is going to look similar, keep your eyes peeled come Spa weekend because, Dan, as you know, that's a, a weekend that's jam-packed full of information. The SRO basically uses it as its uh, platform on, on a global scale to make sure everyone knows um, everything that it wants them to know about the upcoming season. And, and I expect it's going to be a busy time when we get over to Belgium. Absolutely. It's always a busy time. And, and sort of this little period, the, the couple of weeks leading up to it are quite tough because we all want to formulate our ideas of where we're going to be traveling and what we're going to be covering next year. But it's quite hard to do that when you don't know any of the schedules. But then they all come in a big wave and, and everything is made much more clear. But um, yeah, the, looking, at the, looking at the SRO America schedules this year, Certainly, certainly some big gaps and smaller gaps between the races. I don't know how that, how badly that affects some of the teams um, in terms of travel, but I, I, it it does seem to me that there are some there are some areas of the calendar that could be spread out a bit. I certainly, as you said, with the Cota weekend, not just falling close to the IndyCar race, but also falling a week before the St. Petersburg race, um, which doesn't include all of the all of the categories, but it, it particularly affected affected TC America. Perhaps that could that could be something that could be worked out. To me, this sort of period with SRO in charge is still a learning period. Of course, the the sanctioning body coming into America, it's got a lot of things to to understand about the racing. What what's best for the teams? What's best for the marketability of the championship? Uh, its visibility. Um, so changes are probably a good idea, and 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 it's a sign that the series is learning and it's developing its own identity and footprint over in the States. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about plenty of questions. And as always, we'll be, we'll be asking them on behalf of our listeners and readers, uh, what's certainly to what's sure to be a very busy weekend at Spa. Yeah. A couple things just to, to close out that conversation from the rumor mill. I do believe that there is a bit of a push from the GT4 side and maybe the touring car side of things to run more in conjunction with IndyCar. I think SRO is quite happy to have its GT3 category as a flagship and, and running on standalone race weekends. The one exception there I have been hearing might be Long Beach, that uh, some of the GT3 teams are interested in going back to Long Beach. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work if they want all of their races to be 90 minutes long because not even the IMSA race at Long Beach is uh, is too much longer than that. So um, that, that could be one particular challenge there but I do think there could be a move to see more touring car and GT4 races running in conjunction with uh, with IndyCar race weekends which I think by and large is a good thing one other little thing I will tease here and I have no idea how realistic this is but I have been hearing that there might be a different North American venue for the Intercontinental GT Challenge as soon as next year so just put that on the radar. No idea if it's going to come to fruition, but I have been hearing some interesting things, and I'll be curious to hear what uh, what comes out of Spa a little bit later on this month. Let's transition the subject matter, though, over to the Bonclan GT World Challenge Europe weekend at Zandvoort. Uh, it was a, a, a nice return. It's been several years, Dan, since uh, since Bonclan GT was racing in uh, at this particular circuit in the Netherlands, and 
by all accounts, it was a couple of dominating performances in the two respective races with Aka ASP and Santalok taking the wins on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, that's right. And Zanvoort is a circuit that's been in the press quite a bit recently, obviously uh, returning to the Formula One schedule as, as the, the flagship Netherlands round. Um, some of the talk surrounding that is what, how, how is the circuit for racing? Certainly for the win last weekend, it didn't seem as though we had too much competition out front. But I think that more than the circuit, that was down to the, the, the dominance of the pairings that we had. And Christopher Hasser and Simon Gachet's run uh, really impressed me, actually, in race two. Um, the Santa Lock Audi hadn't won for a while, and, and they managed to to eke out a lead of of around 10 seconds by the driver changes. And, and it was it was just a crushing performance, really, as the other drivers fought behind them. Um, and Akira ASP, of course, getting the victory on the Saturday as well. That had been uh, a victory that they've been waiting for this year as well. Um, but yeah, the, we, still, we still saw plenty of competition up and down the grid, um, plenty of interesting storylines. One of them, I think, was the uh, slightly confusing Grasa Lamborghini situation that uh, that 63 car you might consider that to be the flagship entry for the the austrian grasser team that that actually ran under appeal in the second race there, there was a bit of a, a an infringement found after qualifying something to do with the data logger and and the data logger is obviously a, a a favorite form of of infraction in the Blancpain gt series <laughs> europe sphere but uh, uh that car still ran um after setting the fifth best time in qualifying for race two ended up getting on the podium uh Mirko bortolotti and christian engelhart but uh that might be something to follow that we may get some more news on that in the in the next few weeks but uh yeah it, it was great to see the the Blancpain gt world challenge europe field back in action um not too many race weekends for this series so while it's a very popular championship races don't come around too often um but yeah zanvoort uh, certainly produced some great racing back in the pack even if the uh, races up front appeared to be foregone conclusions for all of our coverage of those races in the netherlands plus uh, dan's coverage from uh, the races at portland check out sportscar365.com we've got you covered there for sure and more results also can be found at our weekly racing roundup from a bunch of different series around the globe. Urge you to check that out. For now, let's take a quick break. We will have plenty of news to discuss when we return, including a change in the Audi lineup for the total 24 hours of Spa. We'll talk about that next on Double Stint. I'm Lawson Ashenbach. You're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, time now to turn our attention to the news of the week. Dan, and we'll start with uh, the Audi lineup for the total 24 hours of Spa. I think we were all a little bit surprised to see Jose Maria Lopez on the Audi roster um, going back a couple of weeks when this was announced, but uh, apparently the announcement was short-lived because now we have confirmation that Jamie Green will be replacing Pachito in the lineup. What do you make of all of this? Yeah, I think that element of surprise that that you mentioned there of, of the original announcement is sort of contributed to the news that we've received this week. Um, Jamie Green's going to be in the land Audi instead of Jose Maria Lopez. Green, obviously, well, well known in the Audi organization. Um, but yeah, it, to, to me, it seems strange. First of all, that Lopez was announced in the lineup to start with. Um, nothing against Jose Maria Lopez. He's, obvi- he's obviously a cracking driver, three-time world touring car champion and Toyota LMP1 driver, runner-up in the WEC last season, of course. Um, but yeah, it, it, it seemed like quite a, le- a, a short notice announcement and, and some of the statements that we've seen from Audi 
regarding this latest decision to replace Lopez, perhaps do somewhat to support that. Um, a statement released by Audi said that Lopez didn't feel optimally prepared for this 24-hour race uh, in, in a car that was new for him. Uh, he hadn't tested the Audi R8 LMS GT3 Evo beforehand. Uh, and as someone who's who hasn't driven a GT car in, what, 10 years now uh, and has pretty much been limited, not limited, but certainly um, concentrating on single-seaters and prototypes, very different machinery. It must have been quite a challenge to get used to the Audi. Um, but I guess it just begs the question of why didn't, for, for one of the biggest races of the year, one of the major 24-hour endurance crowns, why didn't Audi and Land go for a tested driver like Green in the first place? Um, obviously, it would have been great to have Lopez in the field. Um, and no disrespect to him at all, but it's not like you're putting in, I don't know, Sebastian Vettel or Lewis Hamilton as, as kind of a, a real uh, one-off star for the event, um, especially in a lineup that probably could go on to win the race. Um, so I, I think it's sensible that Green's going in. Um, I don't think any will be, anybody will be more disappointed than Lopez himself. I'm sure he would have loved to go for the opportunity of Spa. I've spoken to, uh, I speak to him in the World Endurance Paddock, and he's he's always sort of got a glint in his eye every, every time we talk about GT racing or does he have anything on the table? He always wants to be in GT racing. So hopefully we'll see him in a car further down the line. And maybe if he has a bit more time to get used to the package, um, then hopefully we'll, we'll see him on the grid there soon. But yeah, the, a curious case. It, it was a short-lived stint to Audi for now for Lopez. Um, but yeah, certainly uh, that, that lineup with Green in will, will, will be a contender in the land squad, as, as we all know should be right at the front. Yeah, definitely expect that to be the case. They were awfully strong a year ago. Um, United Autosports has been in the news uh, with the switch to Orica machinery for the WEC and followed that up with the news here recently that they'll no longer be the UK distributor for Liget. That's a partnership that goes back quite a ways. This came... Well, I, I shouldn't say it's a surprise when we saw the news that they were going to be making the switch for the WEC. You kind of had to wonder what that relationship with Lige would look like based on the press release, based on the quotes that we saw. It seems like the parting of ways was amicable, but uh, definitely a partnership that we've come become used to. And, and now now it's severed here uh, on the precipice of the, the upcoming WEC season. As you said, Ryan, Perhaps not a massive surprise, but certainly still, nonetheless, it it will be unusual not seeing the United name as closely linked to Ligier as it has been the last few years. Relationship started in 2015-16 now, I think. Um, so it's been going for a few years and, and, and it's built up to be um, a hugely successful distribution network. Um, that came with the with the arrival of LMP3 as a national series in the UK, um, as well as high interest from European from British teams, sorry, to enter European Championships like the Le Mans Cup and the European Le Mans series. Um, so yeah, it'll be a huge blow for sure. Um, I, I think it was a it was a brave step from United to to do what they did. It was it was a drastic step to go for the Orica. Um, when that announcement was made, it initially sounded as though that this that the decision to part ways with Ligier in the WEC on the LMP2 front was purely out of its status as a customer team and it wouldn't have anything to cars in the UK. Uh, that now appears to have not been the case. And it, it, it sort of, when the first announcement was made, I sort of thought, well, how is it not going to impact its status as a distributor? And now we, of course, know the answer. Um, but yeah, interesting, Ligier Automotive, which is the uh, the sort of new name of 
on-road automotive, which produces the Ligier sports car chassis. They, they've taken control of that network and, and taken it in-house. Um, whether or not we'll see another uh, UK entity, a, a team perhaps come along and and take over again and, and uh, set up a similar network that United managed to build remains to be seen. Um, but certainly Ligier trying to keep its everything close to its chest right now and possibly just giving some space to breathe. United does still have an interest in Ligier, obviously runs cars all over the place in LMP3. Um, so don't want to so they, they obviously don't want to do anything that's going to damage the relationship long term. Um, but yeah, certainly interesting developments in the world of prototype racing and uh, one of the most stable, you could say, uh, now, uh, now in very now looking very different to what it did this time, even last week. Definitely a big change in the sports car racing landscape from that perspective. Uh, some other news: high class racing has made. Uh, some confirmations for drivers for the upcoming WEC season. Dan, uh, would you fill us in on the latest there? Yeah, so uh, not not a surprise that Mark Patterson and Anders Fjordback are in the car. That was, that was sort of already known. Um, but <laughs> the interesting point that I came across, um, so High Class Racing presented its new livery in a, in a post on social media. Um, and I had a look at the car, and, and there, was a, there was a name in between Patterson and Fjordback. However... High Class hadn't actually announced its full driver lineup yet. It said there's going to be an announcement later this week. I looked at that name, uh, and it was quite telling that it was uh, Kenta Yamashita, who, who is a big deal if he comes over to the World Endurance Championship. There's a 23-year-old Japanese driver, the current Super GT points leader, and uh, a very successful driver in Super Formula so far, and a few podium finishes, and is uh, sort of wet, mixing it against all of the big guns. Also a 20, also the 2016 Japanese Formula 3 champion beating Jan Mardenborough there in a great title fight. Um, so if, uh, as it looks as though it might be, if uh, Yamashita ends up driving in the LMP2 class of the WEC, I think we might have a, a real treat on our hands and, and a star for, for global sports car racing, not just on a national level. And as we all know, Japan plays host to some of the best sports car racing on the world. So I think it's great that, that drivers of this uh, of this caliber from this series are, are now looking at the WEC as a way of going racing. So, uh, yeah, pretty pretty exciting times for high-class racing. They've got, got a good chassis. They've got a good crop of drivers. So uh, let's see how they do on their WEC debut. And, yeah, potentially a very welcome addition to the grid as well. Cool cool little catch on your part there to, to find the, the name on the livery that they revealed so uh, giving us a bit more information than perhaps they intended uh, finally we've got some good news that core autosport has committed to running the nissan dpi for the upcoming 2020 imsa weathertech sports car championship season this coming despite what has been maybe not quite the kind of season that, that they were looking for to this point uh in the imsa season i have to say john bennett and colin brown especially coming off of the ultra-successful championship they had in 2018 where they went into Petit Le Mans with a real shot at winning the, the, the what was then combined prototype class championship. Haven't had quite the same success with the Nissan platform here this year, but still plenty of races to go. And the, the big news for me and the good news for me is that we continue to see that Nissan car on the grid. I have to say it is uh, one of my favorite-looking prototypes of recent years and it's good to have that diversity committed at least for one additional season oh for sure it's a fantastic car it's a proven winner and, and it's great that core has 
has uh, taken taken its business to running that operation uh, because it's a competitive car we know and, and the car's obviously done very well in some in qualifying sessions of late uh, with Colin Brown behind the wheel um, but yeah so I think it's fantastic that they're looking at coming back in 2020 um, interesting John Bennett was talking to Sports Car 365 uh, saying that every time they've come to a racetrack this year with the car it's not the team's first time but it's always the first time they've been there with that car so while they might have returned to Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, a, 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 the most recent venue on the IMSA calendar, and somewhere they they raced well with their Oracle 07 Gibson in the past, it's a completely different setup. And so they're they're, they're facing a challenge at every single race they visit this year, a bigger challenge than usual. So um, yeah, I, th- I think going back, that they'll be more prepared next year. They'll know more of what to expect. And uh, yeah, certainly I wouldn't say this year has been a failure by any stretch and the team has managed to put together some, some, uh, some, some good runs, uh, especially Brown in qualifying, as we all know, he's, 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 he's one of the gun drivers in American sports car racing right now. So um, yeah, certainly plenty of ground, to, ground to, for improvement and uh, yeah, it's great to see Core on the grid next year with that amazing car, as you said. For more on those stories and the rest of the news from sports car racing, be sure to check out the website and we'll have a lot more still to come this week as well for you to look forward to that we'll be discussing on the show next week. For now, though, let's take a quick break. We've got Harry Gonsacker coming up next, clinched the Pirelli GT4 America Sprint X West Pro-Am Championship for ST Racing along with John Miller over the weekend. We'll talk to him about that and more when we come back. Hello guys, I'm Alessandro Balzan and you are listening to Sportscast 365 Double Thin Podcast. Ciao! Harry Gonsacker kind enough to join us now on the Double Stint Podcast, coming off not only an overall win in Pirelli GT4 America competition here in Portland, but also, at least we believe, at the time of recording, clinching the season-long championship in the GT4 West Pro-Am class uh, alongside John Miller, your co-driver. We were just chatting a moment ago. To your knowledge, this is your first championship in anything. How special is it? Man, it's just the next step of completion. I'm really happy with myself and everyone at BMW and ST Racing. Uh, we just executed every time we were on the racetrack and flawlessly. You know, uh, the guys at ST Racing worked their butt off day and night getting these cars to where they are. Uh, it's just an amazing feeling, you know, champions. It's kind of crazy, but it's a really cool feeling. I think it's John's first championship ever as well, so it's kind of cool. Hopefully we can keep this trend going. Take us back to the start of the season when you were putting this deal together. I'm sure championship was the goal, but I mean, think, thinking back on that and now having the chance to reflect a little bit on what you've accomplished at this point, how does it mesh with your emotions as you enter the season? It's uh, very cool, you know. Um, I learned a lot working with John this year, um, especially about becoming a champion and working in a different kind of style in the races, kind of not 10 tenths every time. Sometimes you got to take a step back and breathe just to get a clean finish for those points, and uh, we really kind of executed that all year long. Uh, kind of didn't have the best results in Sonoma, but we were, we were able to bounce back strong here in Portland. The relationship that you have with John, it seems quite strong. He's a relatively young guy, but has a lot of experience to draw from, and, and something you said there about learning not to be at 10 tenths all the time early in his career people called him mr excitement because that was kind of his style so was it his own experience that 
was able to that he was able to to impart upon you to, to help ex- accelerate your development curve? Uh, I would definitely say so. You know, he's been driving the BMW M4 GT4 for a really long time. Uh, this is my first season in this kind of car, so it took me a little while to get used to it. A lot bit more movement than the Janetta or the Sin car that I've been in in previous years. But John was a great source, giving me tips and tricks every all the time. And, really helped develop myself into the car you know i feel great in it now it's like second nature almost so looking forward to vegas the the bmw it is a lot different than the other car you're driving this season the the hyundai tcr much different than the sin that you drove before that the janetta before that i mean take people through the adjustment process that a driver has to go through to extract speed out of a car that might not drive like anything you had previous experience with. I'd definitely say patience is one of the biggest things that I've learned this year. Uh, both cars I've jumped into this year are quite a bit different than anything I've ever driven in my entire life and uh, really just taking it step by step, uh, lap by lap almost, just paying attention to every little detail while you're driving the race car. You know, there's they do different things because they're built differently and if you have that knowledge of why it's doing this it really can help you on the racetrack. How about the relationship that you've developed with BMW especially as a young driver does that is that something you can build upon? Oh I definitely hope so uh, I did the junior program uh, earlier this year which was quite frankly amazing I learned tons over there with those guys uh, level of professionalism BMW has for those programs is outstanding and Hopefully I can get invited back, but uh, either way, I love driving this M4 right now, and uh, I love it here in America. Got to say, this ST Racing seems like a great environment to be a part of. You look around the paddock, and there's a lot of graybeards in this sport. We need some some youthful enthusiasm, and it seems like there's plenty of it under the ST Racing tent. You might hear the music in the background as uh, you guys celebrate. Just what is the environment like as, as a group of, of young people just enjoying the sport? It really just makes it fun and kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. But, you know, everyone's just kind of joking with each other, just having a really good time at the racetrack, you know. Uh, it's almost like you're on vacation, but not really at all, <laughs> you know. But uh, I just love these guys at ST Racing. You know, they work their butts off, and we're really dedicated to the sport. Last couple of things. I'm sure our listeners also are curious about your experience on the IMSA side, driving uh, with Brian Herta Autosport in the Hyundai TCR. Has that met your expectations? Oh, most definitely. That car is outstanding as well. The TCR uh, racing over in IMSA is very close. Uh, haven't had the best results at the beginning of this season, but we still have plenty of racing on that side of the world left, and I'm really looking forward to getting into Lime Rock. I feel like we uh, made some good adjustments coming from Canada for on the car, and we're looking pretty strong. Where are you looking for that little bit of extra growth as a team, as a program on the IMSA side to put yourself in position to challenge for the kind of results that you expect? I think I just need to be a bit more patient with the whole TCR driving style. It's way different than really anything I've ever been a part of and I really enjoy that challenge. Uh, Brian has taught me so much so this year uh, it's an amazing source of information and really just love working with everyone at Hyundai as well you know um, just looking forward to Lime Rock so I can prove myself. Well, we look forward to seeing you there. Congratulations on all the success here in the SRO paddock. Best of luck uh, in Vegas the next time uh, this program is on track and certainly with everything you still have to come with him. So. Thank you sir appreciate it. Hi, I'm Dan Cameron, and you're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, thank you very much to Harry for joining me shortly after 
his uh, overall win over the weekend at Portland. It was great to catch up with him as he continues his ascent in the North American sports car racing scene. Dan, back with me now as we wrap things up by turning our attention to what's to come this weekend. We've got uh, IMSA headed over to Lime Rock, where it's a GT-only round for the WeatherTech Championship. I have to say I do enjoy a chance to have the full focus on the GT cars. These GT-only rounds are, are a lot of fun, both at Lime Rock and VIR. What are you looking forward to the, with uh, IMSA this weekend? Yeah, that's a great point. It's great to highlight the the ability that's in these fields. Obviously, we've got great battles up front in the DPI class, but sometimes when the battles up at the for the overall win are so good, sometimes you can miss what's going on in the GT rank. So yeah, it's great to have this exposure at, at a fantastic little circuit. Lime Rock always provides entertainment. Um, up in GTLM, I think the big question is a fairly obvious one, and it's will Porsche win again? It's it's almost unbelievable how well the Porsche 911 RSR has been doing in, in its final year of competition. Five wins on the bounce now, and, and a six would quite frankly make it ridiculous, but it's not untenable because Porsche has been able to tame circuits of so many different characteristics. It seems to be a competitive car wherever you take it, so no doubt it will be on the pace at Lime Rock. But um, yeah, plenty of storylines to look out for in GTLM. Uh, Corvette will certainly be looking for a, for a, for a big upswing after... A, a tough race last time out at CTMP. Um, obviously, incidents in other races have have sort of set the program back a little bit in terms of spare parts purely and 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 a bit of momentum as well. I think. Um, so coming back to a track last year where they got a podium can only be a good thing uh, because it's it's a place that seems to have suited Corvette in the past. So uh, yeah, the, everyone will be eyeing Porsche in this race. Um, Ford also will be wanting to do a bit better than they did last time out. BMW hoping to continue the momentum that they built over at CTMP. A great little run there from John Edwards and Jesse Crone for their first podium of the season. And so as the title race starts to become a reality, it's great to see uh, great to see the manufacturers all battling out on these circuits, a crucial part of the season, really. Um, what are your thoughts on GTD, Ryan? Because we had a, an interesting race last time out where the Turner Motorsport crew ended up winning with the BMW. Do you think they can do it again? You know, it's hard to say. It's such a such a tightly competitive field in GTD. I think you have to look at Porsches as uh, as the favored mark, both in GTLM and GTD. Lime Rock has the the history of being a favorable racetrack for Porsches. And quickly to to put a bow on your comments about Porsche and GTLM, a couple of years ago, that's where the 911 RSR got its maiden win in global competition that happened at Lime Rock. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them up there in the fight uh, going for yet another win in GTLM. And and we've seen them sweep weekends like this with uh, the GT-only races at Lime Rock in the past, winning both GTLM and GTD. I think it's cool to have the the right motorsports guys back there. I expect the Acuras to be strong once again. I wouldn't look too far past them. I do know there was a little bit of a BOP change for the Turner BMW where they were pegged back a little bit in the latest BOP adjustment. You can check that out at uh, SportsCar365. But uh, that said, I I think it's a wide open field and should be a ton of fun as always. Looking forward to this weekend at Lime Rock. John will be there with all the coverage for you at SportsCar365.com. We'd love to hear from you for our next edition of the show. If you've got a question or a comment, you can leave it in the comment section or use the hashtag AskDoubleStint 
on Twitter, and we'd be happy to discuss that and have a bit of a conversation with you folks. But for now, that's going to do it. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Harry Godsacker for joining us on the program this week and to Dan as well for adding his expertise. And we'll be back next week with our next edition of the Double Stint Podcast. 